So I want to start off this morning, and I want to ask you a question, and I want to tell you a story. Is that all right? So I want to ask you a question and tell you a story. I tend to do that. Uh, the question I have for you is, where are you going? Where are you going? Just think about it for a second. You may not sure what I'm talking about. That's all right. As you're thinking about it, I'm going to tell you a story. So about 10 years ago, when I was starting college, there was a fellow that I knew from earlier in my life that we were, we were friends. He was a good dude. He kind of went down a different path, had some different struggles, you know, and different things like that, but he was a good dude. And uh, he, we kind of got in touch again. And so I, being a young, fervent uh, believer, wanted to help him out, right? And so kind of helped him out with some different stuff. We'd kind of drive him to uh, apply for a job. And we were friends. We'd text each other. He'd come to church, uh, different stuff like that. Just looking for different ways to kind of help him out, you know, and serve a brother. And uh, one day I'm home. It's winter. It's January. It's cold. And I get a text. I'm like, hey man. He, he, he asks, hey man, would you be able to give me a friend a ride? We got to run over. He's got to pick up something from an uncle's house. Would you be able to give us a ride? Sure, man. No problem. So I pop in my Honda, go over there. No big deal. Stop. Pick him and his friend up. Very nice gentleman. Very chatty. They get in the back seat of my car. So there we are. They're like, we got to pick up something from my uncle's house, but we got to pick up my uncle first. I'm like, why not? Here we are. So we drive out to the middle of nowhere. It, it very much, I'm like, where did this restaurant come from? And anyways, this uncle was at a restaurant, came out, got in the backseat of my car, very stinky, but a very nice guy. He didn't really say anything. I don't know if he's nice or not, but there I am driving through Wayne County, Ohio with three individuals in my car, just bopping along, just bopping along with these guys. We get to the uncle's house. They all go inside together, and I'm just tapping on my wheel, just hanging out. You know what I mean? Ten minutes goes by. They all get back in. You guys get what you need? Sure did. Cool. Take the uncle back to the sketchy restaurant. Take these guys back to their place. I said, guys, have a good night. And they said, Aiden, you too. I'm like, cool. So then I go home, and my then-girlfriend, now wife, Sarah, and my mother are there. They said, Aiden, where did you go? So I tell them the story I just told you, and it wasn't until as I was telling them I realized that I ran my first drug deal that night. <laughs> I ran my first drug deal and I had no idea. It was also my only, only drug deal. But here's the question I have for you. Where are you going? Where are you going? Because I, innocently enough, was just making little stops here, a little stop here, picking up uncle here, stop here. And I never asked. I never thought about where was it that we were actually going, right? The truth is, as we've been talking about, all the things in our life, each stop, everything we do, we are going somewhere. Every one of us is going somewhere, being shaped by things or being formed by things. We've been talking about this. We're going somewhere, right? That the, the habits of our lives, the rhythms of our lives, the seemingly insignificant aspects of our lives, the patterns of our lives, the things that we intake are all taking us somewhere, right? None of us are indifferent. None of us are just decided to go nowhere. We're all going somewhere. It's important for us to look at. And so what we've been looking at, we've kicked off the series called The Way of Change, Practicing the Presence of Jesus. And so what we're looking at is what does Jesus call us to? And looking at the scriptures, Jesus calls us to follow him in our daily lives. It's something that we say all the time. We're followers of Christ. But what does it mean? What does it look like to actually follow Christ in our day-to-day -day lives? I think it looks like he calls us to follow him in our patterns and in our habits and in our intakes and all those different things we do. And you, we, we got to be on the same page here. Not, we don't do these things. All these different habits and patterns that we're talking about through the series, we don't do them so that we can earn God's favor. Not how this thing works, right? 
We're not doing these things so that we can keep God's favor. Not how this thing works. We're not doing it just because we probably should because we're in church and I want to look good when I bump into the pastor at the grocery store. I see it. That's not why we do these things, right? It's not why we do these things so that we can invite the presence of Jesus into our lives, right? He's present with us, but because of all the noise, because of all the things that are going on, because of all the things that pull us away, we, in the practices and the rhythms of our life, aren't letting those things take us to Jesus. They're letting us, they're taking us different places. And look at what Jesus says. He calls us to follow him. Matthew 4, we'll throw this up on the screen. This is, this is what he did as he interacted with people on his time on earth. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. Andrew. They were casting their nets into the lake because they were fishermen. Jesus looked at them and said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Look at what, what John writes in his gospel. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, will have the light of life. Look at Mark. Then he called the crowds to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. That why Jesus was on this earth, he wasn't just a good man, but he was a teacher. He was a rabbi. He had people that followed him. We don't have an exact kind of representation of what a disciple is today, but an apprentice is a pretty close picture of it. Someone that follows what their master does. Someone who kind of repeats what their master does, learns to do that thing that their master did. That would have been who Jesus was. He was a Jewish rabbi, right? And so he calls us to follow him into the life that he has, into life abundant. There's over 22 times in just a quick survey through the gospels, Jesus says, follow me. Why does he say that? Because Jesus wants to take us somewhere, right? He doesn't just call us for no reason. He calls us because he wants to take us somewhere wants us to follow him. And so as we practice these habits, these patterns, these rhythms of Jesus, we're inviting his presence into our daily life. Uh, listen to a book uh, by a guy named Richard Foster this week, and he says this. I love this. He says, we do the things we, we can do, like pray and fast, meditate on scripture. We do the things we can do so that we can do the things we can't do, like love our enemies and die to self. All these different things Jesus calls us to do in our lives— we see modeled in Christ, but he calls us to practice these day-to-day things. Sometimes we jump in and we're like, okay, I gotta forgive this person who hurt me. I gotta love my enemies. And it's hard, right? Why? Because we haven't been living any different than the rest of the world. And so what Jesus calls, he says, my burden is light, that in these everyday rhythms, practice my presence with you. And so last week we started and we looked at silence and solitude. You know, you kind of expect us to say Bible and pray, right? But you didn't expect that. But we, we, we talked about this practice of silence and solitude. We see Jesus doing that all through the scriptures. We see Jesus going away, withdrawing to a place where it's just him and his father, right? In silence and solitude. And last week, Dan kind of led us through that. And just based off my conversations this week with lots of different people, I think it was pretty powerful. Because he didn't do a bad job. Great guy, Dan Gregory. But we, we live in a world that's so busy, that's so fast, that there's so much noise. And in the midst of that, Jesus calls us to withdraw, to be with him. And so this week, we're gonna kind of look at the other side of that coin. All right, we're gonna look at the other side of, of silence and solitude on these practices of Jesus. And what we're gonna look at is this concept of that Jesus calls us into community together, Right? That, that why he calls us to withdraw and to spend time in silence to focus on him, he also calls us to engage in community together, to practice that, that rhythm or that pattern. So today I simply want us to look at three things, all right? Because like I'm just going to give you my outline here, and we're just going to walk through these things this morning. The first thing I want to look at is the way of our world. 
We, like I said, we're all going somewhere, right? We're all going somewhere. And I just want to fly over 30,000 foot view, look at the way of our world. You know, what are the normal practices of our lives? Where's it taken us, right? We think that like we're the West, we've, we've won, like we're the best people in all history, but it's, it's important to look at where our society has taken us, right? We're going to quickly run over that. And then we're going to quickly look at the way of Jesus. What are the patterns? What's the picture of this community that we see through scripture? That it's all through scripture. We just want to take a, a quick flyover and look at some of that. And then we just kind of want to wrap up and say, the, how do we do this? The way that we do this. And so usually we, we jump right into scripture. We kind of unpack that. We're going to get there. But today I just kind of want to, to first look at the way of our world, right? And kind of, kind of just broadly look at the world that we're living in. Where is it taking us? I love to listen to a guy named Mark Sayers. He's Australian, he sounds awesome, and he's very smart. And he writes a lot about culture and about faith and about kind of where we're at in our culture. And I, I love listening to him. And in this one talk he was doing, he was talking about for human flourishing, there's kind of these three tanks in our lives. We have almost these three different tanks in our lives of freedom, of community, and of meaning, right? We'll, th- we'll throw that up on the screen. We, we almost have these, these three tanks in our lives. And kind of in order for us as humans kind of to flourish, uh, is almost these, these three tanks kind of need to have input into them, kind of be full and kind of be level, right? That we might have meaning, community, and kind of the freedom to kind of navigate those things together is what he kind of talks about, right? That community, whether, whether it's something like broad, like we are together in our, our hate for Michigan and sports things, I don't know, sports things, but, but having kind of community on a big level, Right? around affinity for sports and those types of things, teams. We have community in our neighborhoods, at our workplaces, that we're with people. But then we have intimate community in our families and in close relationships, right? And there's, there's input into that. All those different relationships are input into that community tank that's vital for our flourishing. He talks about this, this meaning tank, right? That we all have to have a purpose. We all have to know why we're here. What, it, what we do is important, that our life has a purpose. It's important that we have that, right? Or else we're hopeless. And there's different inputs into that meaning tank, right? And then there's, there's this freedom tank, right? It's almost this, this ability, this, this kind of fluidity to be able to choose how that's going to play out in our lives. It's important, right? How are we going to apply these things? And I love how he talked about this, but what's, what's interesting is he, he kind of emphasized this, this freedom tank, right? Like we live in America, Land of the free. And I, I, love, I was thinking about this freedom tank, which reminded me of one of my favorite tweets of all time. It's from one of our own interns, Aaron Gregory. Five years ago, Aaron Gregory, in the spirit of freedom, tweeted this. Wow, I love having a license. I was craving some chocolate milk, so I went and got some chocolate milk. Hashtag yes. What a beautiful picture of freedom, Aaron Gregory. Thank you very much. But freedom's important to us, right? Like the ability to kind of choose these things and kind of move about these things are important. And there's these different inputs to each tank. And here's what Mark Sayers talked about. Is that in our Western culture, in our world, we can have a pretty dry community tank, which leads to a pretty dry meaning tank. Meanwhile, our freedom tank is overflowing. There's so much input going into our freedom tank as Westerners, as people who live in America, there's so, we can pick just about everything. I was at Steak and Shake with my family the other night. It's the kind of place we go all the time. We were at Steak and Shake, and I was watching this family sit next to us. Each one of them, there are a couple middle schoolers and parents, they're all on their phones. Like all, it was like sad, like bawling, I'm not. But I'm watching them, and I'm just like, they have the freedom. That he can be on Facebook, she can be on whatever she's on, he can play Tiny Birds, is that still a thing? And they can be doing whatever, they have freedom to do whatever they want right? On their device. 
because we live where there's so much input into our freedom that we can choose our identity, right? Who we are, who we want to be, what we want to look like. What, whatever, whoever we want to be, we, we have the freedom to be, right? That we're in a time where you can choose your gender, you can expression of that gender. All these different kind of things uh, Sayers talks about. We're in a time, unprecedented, where you can pick your location. You can live wherever you want to live. If you don't like it in Ohio, stop complaining and move to Florida. I don't want to hear it. I like this place. Like, you have to save up and figure it out, but every, we can move wherever we want to move, right? We live in a global world, right? Like, I can FaceTime my friend who lives in the country of Georgia, and we can, we can chat, right? We live in a global world. You can live, you can go wherever you want. If you go to a big city, most people who live there probably aren't from there. They're probably from somewhere else. You can go anywhere, you can pick what you look like, you can pick your, you can pick your job, you can pick your degree, that we have the freedom to pick whatever we want to be, to be whoever we want to be. We've been told that since we we're little, right? Like if you go over to Acme, there's probably 97 different cereals you can pick. And it's stressful. I don't know if I want Cocoa Puffs or Cocoa Krispies. It's a lot of pressure. Or I'm not sure if what juices I want or what can't, like anything. We can pick anything, right? It's the world that we live in. But meanwhile, what, what, what Sayers is talking about is that while we have all this input into our freedom tank, what happens is that we have this surplus of freedom, but our meaning can be drained because we're not sure what the right decision is to make. We're not sure what the right thing is to do, and we're not sure who in our lives is speaking into these things. We can do anything, sure, but what things are we supposed to do? Talk to any kid going into college. It's stressful. Everybody's like, what are you going to do? You could do anything. And they're stressed because they want to find meaning. We want to do the right thing. We want the right people speaking into our lives, right? That we have so much freedom and not a ton of community and not a ton of meaning. It leads to these big questions. Who are we? Why are we here? What matters? Where are we going? It almost leads to this postmodern mindset that nothing has meaning, right? Just do whatever you want. All that is all kind of bred throughout our culture and it's all leading us somewhere. It's good to have freedom, but having this bursting tank of freedom and low meaning and sometimes low community because everything is focused on the self, where is it leading us? I think it's leading us a lot of places. I'm gonna fly through this. I think the main place it leads us is into the spirit of radical individualism. It's the world that we live in, right? There's a guy named Robert Putnam. If you're interested in this, you should check him out. I listened to an hour C-SPAN interview from 2000 with this guy. But, but listen to this guy named Robert Putnam talk. He wrote a book called Bowling Alone in around 2000. And he wrote this book. He's a kind of a social scientist. And he was, kind of did all these big studies and surveys looking at the trends of our nation. This is before Facebook. This is before iPhones. It didn't all just start 10 years ago. But it's been a pattern of our culture. And he writes all about the decrease of civic engagement within our culture that neighborhood connection, PTA, church affiliation, all these different things, all these different social groups that we're part of are on the decline. His premise of the book, Bowling Alone, was that people still went bowling, but they weren't in leagues together anymore. And this whole premise was about the decline of our engagement in what it was doing to our community, to our social institutions. And again, this is long before all the different social media stuff. And he looked at kind of this rise of this radical individualism, right? And it's like, okay, so what? That's fine. It's good. We can pick where we want to go, but I think it's just leading us somewhere. And we look at that and then we look at the different things that are so prevalent in our culture. I think it's leading us somewhere. Dan talked about this a couple months ago. We talked about loneliness, that we're the most connected. We all know this, right? I'm not telling you anything you don't know. We're the most connected generation of all time, right? I call my friend in Colorado right now. We can- we're so connected. But at the same time, loneliness is almost an epidemic 
in our culture. This is from the Health Resources and Service Administration of our government. It said, this is from our government website. It said, loneliness is worse than obesity and equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. This is from a study done by a company called Cigna where the, their survey revealed that nearly half of Americans always or sometimes feel alone. 54% said they always or sometimes feel that no one knows them well. Loneliness isn't just a U.S. phenomenon. It's a nationwide survey released from BBC. A third of Britons said that they often feel very lonely. Nearly half of Britons 65 and older cons- consider the television or a pet their main source of company. So interesting, Britain even hired uh, what they call a loneliness minister. Somebody to kind of take on this epidemic to help address all this different loneliness because it's playing into our greater social structure, right? When we all withdraw, we're all by ourselves on our phones in our own world, it's affecting us on a societal level, right? We're all going somewhere. I think it leads us into loneliness, but I also think it leads us into things like tribalism. That it, like if, if, you, if you're on Facebook or you talk to people, it just, it just feels like we're in a very polarized world, right? Like if I say I like popsicles, someone's like, why don't you like ice cream? And I'm like, I don't, I'm sorry. I just like popsicles and someone's ticked that you don't like ice cream, right? Like there's so much polarization in our society. And what this guy, John Mark Homer, I thought was so interesting, he said, while community is rooted in love or, or, or mutual flourishing, right? Like if we live in a neighborhood together, if we go to church together, if we, we serve on a trip together, whatever it is, there's kind of this, this common unity, right? We're kind of doing something together. There's this mutual flourishing, this mutual love, or at least goal, right? Where what he said was interesting is tribalism is rooted in hate or at least a mutual kind of disagreement about something, Right? That we see like if, if we're all kind of withdrawn and there's isolationism and all this idea of loneliness is everywhere, people are still searching for identity, right? And sometimes we find that through specific groups. We don't find that identity in things that we all love and enjoy and are participating together, but we f- can find our loyalty in the things that we all hate together, right? And it leads us somewhere. George Packer wrote in The New Yorker that tribes demand loyalty and in return, they confer the security of belonging. It's interesting, right? because we're all looking for that meaning tank to be full. Robert Putnam in his book says this, people divorced from community, occupation, and association are first and foremost among the supporters of extremism. It's just interesting to think about. And if it's not something like loneliness or something like tribalism, where is our individualistic culture leading us? I think it leads us all kinds of places. It's just my opinion. This isn't science, but I think, I think it kind of leads to this culture of self-centeredness, Right? Like, if you're on Facebook, all those ads aren't random. They saw your credit card history and they're trying to make you into somebody, right? And it's all shaped around the per- It's all shaped around you becoming somebody. Who, who are you gonna be? We live where everything is kind of directed at the self. I think it creates this self-centeredness. Heck, our phones have a selfie camera on them, right? I think it leads to superficiality. Dan talked about this last week, but what I think happens a lot of times, we all struggle with, is that there's a problem and it's like, I don't really know or care about that problem, but I care that people think that I care about that problem. So I got a tweet or post about that problem, so I look that I care about that problem, but I'm not gonna do anything or get involved with it, right? It can kind of create the spirit of, of superficiality. I think it leads to things like depression, anxiety, and we see this so often, there's shallow relationships. How are we doing? Good, cool that what Putnam talks about in his book is a lot of our social engagement because of these other things are declining end up being digital, right? Like our, the groups we're in, the, the, the organizations that we're part of, even our friends are all digital. And he says it's a very different thing than face-to-face interaction. I know, I know, I get it. What are we supposed to do, Aiden? All wear the same color and live in a commune? No. 
But what I think is that we just have to stop and take a look at where is it that we're going? Because like we said at the beginning, none of us are going nowhere, right? All the hour that we choose to sit on our phone, the time that we decide not to get involved with that group, the time that we decide just to flex our opinion and not be part of what's happening, we're all going somewhere, right? But Jesus calls us to follow him. So for those of us in the room that are followers of Jesus, want to look at just kind of the culture we're in, look around and be like, okay, my glasses may be tinted to our culture. And I want to look at what is Jesus calling us to and how can my cultural glasses be kind of filtering what it is Jesus is calling me to. So I want to look at this. As we looked at the way of the world, I want to look at the way of Jesus. We said this earlier, but this idea of community is almost this common unity, Right? common unity, that we're united around something. As Jesus calls us to follow him, he's calling us somewhere together, that we follow Jesus together, that we're part of something that along with others, Jesus invites us into. And so I just want to fly through some of the different ways we see this in scripture. That, that we, we first and foremost, as followers of Jesus, we see this, this pattern of community, this rhythm of being with people. We see it modeled in the life of Christ, Right? But you will not find a Bible verse specifically where Jesus is like, here, you should get in a small group, start at six o'clock, have childcare, have some crackers, and talk for 45 minutes about the sermon, then pray and leave. Like there's not a verse that says that, right? But as we look at the life of Jesus, if he's not withdrawn in silence and in solitude and in prayer, he's with people. He's with people. People, as my, my wife and I went, uh, we went to Orlando a couple uh, weeks ago. Someone got us a little trip down there. It's very stressful. I'm not a traveler. I'm glad I'm back. But it was, it was great. But we went to SeaWorld. Just judge me later, okay? I got free tickets. You got free tickets. I know you're not supposed to go to SeaWorld, but the whales are there. Anyways, I didn't pay for it. I just took pictures with them. But we went to SeaWorld, and this is what I noticed about SeaWorld. It's all the places we went, as whether there was a person who was kind of talking about the exhibit or whether there was a little thing that talked about the exhibit, as it talked about all the sea life, none of them said the fish are big fans of water. Like, none of them said that. Like, in order for this fish to survive, it's going to need water. None of them said that, right? It's just assumed that for this fish's survival, that water was an equivalent and very important part of the scenario, right? And as we look at the life of Christ, though we don't see him like being a small group, we see so clearly pattern throughout the life of Christ. So clearly that he's with people, that he's in community with people, a larger community and a closer community. Look at, look at Luke 6. Look at uh, Luke 6. This is interesting. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Interesting that it starts with solitude, right? Interesting that it starts with solitude. When morning came, he called his disciples. Now listen, it's important that his disciples, it wasn't just the 12. Jesus, I said, was a teacher. He was a rabbi. There would have been a lot of people following him, right? He would have had a lot of followers, a lot of disciples. And so he has kind of this greater community. But he called all his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them. And it kind of goes through their names there. But it's interesting that Jesus calls these 12 specifically to him as kind of his close circle. And even within those, he kind of has uh, two or three that are even closer to him. And these disciples would have lived with Jesus daily. They would have saw him do miracles. They would have supported him. They would have laughed with him and just lived life with him. These 12 would have been with him when he was sweating blood, ready to give his life in the garden. They would have been there when he healed people. 
They would have helped him to serve other people, which we see oftentimes in scriptures. He would have, they would have been together as he would have rebuked them, as they would have learned from one another. They were constantly with Jesus because Jesus' life was attached to community. It was the water that he swam in, right? We see him with people, but this isn't the only place we see it. And I kind of want to sail through a couple of these things, but I think it's important to see the big picture of community because I don't want today to be like, you should be in a group and be like, not going to do that. I want us to see the bigger picture of why all through the scripture that this following Jesus thing, as opposed to what you might see on, in our culture, is not just me watching Joel Osteen listen to Hillsong in my car. Like that's not what the Christian faith is, right? It calls us to community. Look at this. This, this desire for community begins in a pattern at creation. It begins at creation. I think we miss this sometimes. We sometimes, if you think like, and we can argue all day about how creation happened, but the point is that God created, right? God created. What's interesting, and I think it's important for us to know, he didn't create people because he was bored and lonely, right? Sometimes we do things because we're bored and lonely and it's no good. That was not what Jesus did. That's not what God did. God created out of the overflow of a community. What do I mean? This is so important for us to grab that, that the, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existed in perfect community together before the creation, before the foundation of the earth, right? That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were in relationship, in community together. And in God's grace to create, he created out of an overflow of the community that happened, right? That he invites us into the community that already exists. He didn't create community because he needed some, right? It's important to see that. Look at this. We'll throw this up on the screen. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, that God exists in perfect community within the Trinity, that the nature, the heart, the character, the personality of God is inherently a community. As you look at the life of Christ in the Gospels, you see him with his disciples, but you see him in his community with the Father and with the Spirit all through the Scriptures. When he goes off in the wilderness to pray, he's communing with the Father, right? Like he's in community with himself in the Godhead. And if you're here and you're like, that doesn't make a lot of sense, it kind of, kind of makes my mind hurt a little bit, that's okay. Sometimes I think we try and put God into our nice little box and I'm not sure that's where he fits, right? So if it, the Trinity doesn't make a lot of sense, that's okay. That's okay, we'll make it. But he created us out of community, but he also created us for community. Look at Genesis 2.18. This is, this, is, this is cool. It says, the Lord God said, very plainly, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. You think about this. We see that, we're like, okay, I see that. It's not good for him to be alone. Man existed with God, that God created rivers and streams and mountains and animals and parrots and all this stuff, right? And yet God looked at Adam in this perfect creation and was like, it's not good for him to be alone, right? And he had God with him, but yet it still wasn't good. He needed community, right? It wasn't good for him to be alone. That even as we, as we see the story of redemption unfold in scripture, God didn't just throw the Bible out and was like, whoever gets it, gets it, right? We see the story of redemption unfolding through a family, through the family of Abraham, turns into a nation, right? It's just community together. And as we continue to see that God's redemptive pattern is executed through community, we get to us today. We get to the church the gathering of believers, right? And there's so much in scripture about us gathering together that the church is called to be a community that follows Jesus together. And I think as we're looking at this through our cultural lenses, we think, we'll see, right? We'll be like, we have the option. We'll see if I wanna follow Jesus with other people or just by myself. And I'm not sure that that's the option that we're given. 
I think that is a product of the culture we live in, of our individualistic culture. We're like, this is Jesus is in my heart, and this is my spiritual life, and my Christian radio station, and I'll see them once in a while, but they're kind of weird, right? But I'm not sure that's what Scripture calls us into. Look at what, look at what Jesus says in John 13. This is kind of a, a central passage as Jesus is talking about discipleship and following him. In John 13, he washes his disciples' feet. He's kind of in this upper room before he goes to give his life for our sin. And he says this to his disciples. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. 35 says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, he calls us to follow him, calls us into discipleship with him. He's like, this is how people are going to know, not by your bumper sticker, not by your Facebook posts, not because your car is parked at Grace Church on Sunday at 1047, but because of your love for one another. That's how people will know that you are my disciples. In this one another concept we see all through the New Testament, this one another is over a hundred times throughout the New Testament. What's interesting is we look at some of these really quick. These one another's you can't do by yourself. You need another to practice the one another's, right? Look at some of these. these all these one another's, they deal with matters of unity. The scriptures say, be at peace with one another. Don't grumble to one another. Accept one another. They deal with matters of love. Be devoted to one another. Love one another. Serve one another. They deal with matters of humility in our own hearts to see others as more important than ourselves, to, close your, to clothe yourselves in humility with one another, to honor one another. We see all kinds of different things, not lying to one another, bearing one another's burdens, praying for one another. That this community that we live in as, as believers is the water, so to say, that we swim in, right? All these one another's only can happen in community. You can't bear one another's burdens if it's just you. Nobody can bear your burdens if it's just you. You can't extend forgiveness if there's no one to extend forgiveness to you. You can't accept grace if there's no one to give you grace. Like we can't do these things without other people, right? Like we can learn by ourselves a little bit, sure. We can pray by ourselves, sure. But to live out and practice so many things that we're called to, we can't do by ourselves, right? They happen in community. I think sometimes we can even read, we can kind of read scripture in an individualistic way, Right? Like everything is kind of just for me and not for, it's just my time, right? Like that's how we read scripture sometimes. Like I, I love uh, Pastor Tony at our Medina campus. I, he kind of taught in this. I thought it was interesting. But for a lot of times we read scripture and we think it's just talking about us. But because these letters are written to churches, a lot of these letters in the New Testament were written to churches and they were kind of meant to be read to the assembly, kind of meant to be read to people together. And so sometimes the you is actually a you all. Almost like a nice Southern lady saying y'all, Right? Let's read it that way together. For y'all are God's building, right? Like not just you, but y'all are God's building. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Some of us are familiar with this. For it's by grace that y'all have been saved, right? Not just you, but the community of believers. It's by grace that y'all have been saved. Colossians 2, 10. See that you also are complete through union with Christ. Could be just you, but what it's written is see that y'all are complete through union with Christ. Just kept going in a Southern accent there. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now y'all are the body of Christ. These aren't individual. They don't work as individual things. I'm not the body of Christ. I'm just the thumb. But all of us together are the body of Christ. 
All these things, is, it's the water that we swim in. We're part of this community together. I think it's important to think that we're sharing in the gospel together. We're sharing in the goodness of what Jesus has done for us together. It's not just something that we attend together, but it's something that we share in hanging out is all well and good, but we're part of something bigger. We're, we're talking about partaking and sharing in God's story as his people, as his body, as his family, as his children. There's, there's a Greek word that Paul, two Greek words that Paul often uses when he's talking about this idea of kind of participating in something. There's two words. I'm not a Greek guy, but they're kononia and sukonianos. We'll throw them up on the screen. There you go. I wasn't lying. Told you. There they are. And these words kind of talk about this joint participation this communion together, this fellowship together to share with something, to be a participant in. Look at the way this shows up in scripture. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, kononia, this joint participation, this communion with one another. 1 Corinthians 9, 23. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, Paul says, that I may share in, sukonunas, that participate in, have fellowship with its blessings. Philippians 1.7, whether I'm in chains, defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in, so go to God's grace with me, that we're sharing in something. There's a guy named, named Pete Amsterdam, and I think this is powerful to think about because oftentimes we think that we're just kind of with someone, right? We're just next to someone, like we're riding on a bus going the same direction. But he's talking about something deeper, something more profound that we're sharing in in something together. We have fellowship. We're participants in something together. That Peter Amsterdam says, participating in something rather than simply with someone. That we as believers are participating in something rather than simply just with someone, right? That we're a part of something bigger. When we think about this idea of community, We're attaching our stories, what God is doing in our life, to the greater story, to the body, to the building, to the church that God is building. We're putting our stories into this, right? And it calls us to die to ourselves, to kind of die to the radical individualism that we're we're kind of surrounded by. It calls us to die to ourselves that we might live for the sake of one another. And we see this modeled so clearly in Christ. That Jesus gave his life for those who are his enemies, for those who turn his back on him, which is all of us. That he gave his life for those of us that have gone far away. He gave his life that we might draw near, that we might be brought back in. It's not just you have me in your heart and that's all it is, but he brings us into something, into a family into a community. We're part of a new family that Jesus is building and it's not based on location or race or nationality or preference or party, but it's based in the blood of Jesus in our commonalities that we have the spirit of God dwelling within us. Look at Romans 8 verse 14. For those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. 16 says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We're not his only child. We're his children. We're part of his family. That Jesus didn't die and raise again to bring us back to create this new family so that we could decide, I'm not sure if I want to be part of that or not. I think I'm just going to go with the personal Jesus option. Like that's, it's not one of the options, right? He calls us into this family. The option 
I want to say it's gracefully, but it's a product of our culture. It's not a product of the scriptures. It's not a product of what Jesus calls us into, right? And what's interesting is we just look at the gospel, look at what we're called into. The gospel gives us freedom, that we have freedom from ourselves and worrying about ourselves all the time. We have freedom from, am I done enough to be with God? We have freedom from our sin, that our freedom tank has a nice steady input from the goodness of Jesus, right? That through the gospel we have meaning, right? That our identity is rooted in Christ, that our purpose is rooted in Christ, that he calls us into something, that our meaning tank has an input, right? And that in Christ, our community tank is filled up through our gathering with one another, through the community that we have been bought into, from the family that his blood has purchased us into, that the gospel fills all those tanks. And so we looked at the way of our culture quickly. We looked at the way of Jesus throughout the scriptures. I want to do this just quickly as we close. The way that we change. How do we do this? How does this matter? There's a couple things I just want us to think about, right? Just a couple things I want us to think about. And I know that some of you guys are just like checking out church and you're like, am I supposed to sign a sheet somewhere? He sounds aggressive. No, no, no. For some, for some of you are just checking out stuff today or you kind of been checking out. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. All I want to push back against gently is that we, we frame ourselves as this following Jesus in this like, if people are involved, that's fine, but I'm probably just going to do it by myself. And just scripturally, historically, that's not what the church is. It's not what we see. So like, I mean, if you do that, it's cool, but it's just not what Jesus calls us to. It's not what we see in scripture. It's not what we've seen through the church. So a couple questions for you. Whether, whether you're here and you're like, I'm a follower of Jesus, or whether you're here and you're like, I'm just hanging out, came with my girlfriend, she dragged me here, whatever it is. I just want to ask you this question. Where is your community taking you? Like, how is it shaping you? Is it giving you life? If you are a believer, is it encouraging you? Is it shaping your faith? I want to say this, if you're, if you're a believer or not a believer, the com- we're all being shaped by the people we're around, Right? If you're here and you're married, like, how is the community around shaping your marriage? We get together with the guys and talk about the old lady and what she makes me do it. How's that shaping you? Like, we laugh, but it's true. I have friends, it's like, their community is with a bunch of dudes talking smack about their wife and they have a rough marriage. I'm like, yeah, you're being shaped by your community, my friend. Vice versa, right? We're all being shaped by the people around. I'm just ask you, who are the people? How is it, how is it shaping you? There's many proverbs in the scriptures about that we become like the people we're around, right? We're all going somewhere. Is your community making you cynical? Is your community making you indifferent towards God? Or some of you are part of this and your community has shaped you to have a more robust faith. It's a challenge you. You've seen people bear your burdens in your community. You've been able to be honest with people in your community. You know, sometimes you walk in your community, and whether that's church on Sunday, a grace group, a phone call with a couple of believers, coffee, like I don't want to like be overly prescriptive about what this has to look like. But some of us bear burdens together and it's, it's life-giving, right? It's what, the, it's what we're called to. Some of us are robbing ourselves of that as we don't gather with people. Where is your community taking you? I want to ask you this, and I mean this full of grace and no guilt. This is, this is why I don't want this to be guilty. Because guilt doesn't work, right? It works for like 15 seconds and then you're like, oh, I don't feel bad anymore, it's fine. Like, This is not guilt. This is just Jesus tenderly calls us to follow him, right? Like Jesus calls us to follow him. We trip and we fall and we mess up and he helps us back up and he says, continue to follow me. 
If you read through the Gospels, you read the disciples, those 12 guys he was friends with, they're like kind of stupid a lot. <laughs> like they like mess up all the time. They do dumb things all the time. Like Peter's like, Jesus, I'll never leave you. He's like, you will. He's like, no, I won't. You will. And guess what happens? Peter leaves him. But Jesus continues to call him back. This is my question. If you're part of the family, are you showing up? Are you showing up? And again, if you're here, if you're checking out things, that's awesome. But if you're here and you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, Grace Church Norton is my home. This is like my community. I'm a follower of Jesus. Are you showing up? Because I have a weird uncle that shows up once every 15 years for Thanksgiving. He like messes up everybody's names, right? You always, you have, everybody has that family member that calls your girlfriend, your old girlfriend's name. You're like, stop it. Come more often. You're messing this all up, man, right? Are we that person spiritually? Like I'm not, again, please, 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 this is not guilt. I just want us to look at what is Jesus calling us into and who am I, who am I following? Are you showing up? Are you showing up? Whether that's a church, whether that's a grace group, whether that's any way with your Christian brothers and sisters in their lives, whatever that looks like. I love Pastor Tony in the Vignette Arc Medina campus said this. He said that community requires consistency. I love that requires commitment. Community requires consistency. Like nothing changes if you show up once in a while, right? You don't change. Well, I'm wrong. We do change, but are we changing the way that we want to if we show up once in a while? Are we changing the way Christ has called us to? Now listen, I, pastors up here being like, you should come to church more. I get it. I get it. All right. But I just want us to ask ourselves, like, what are the things, and there's a lot of reasons we don't come to church, right? There's a lot of reasons we don't go to our group. There's a lot of reasons we don't make that phone call to our Christian friends or our, our other believers in the faith. There's a lot of reasons that we kind of stop getting coffee together. All those things. Life is insane, right? There's, there's a lot going on, right? So it's like, I'm not sure if that's the best. But th- this, this is something I just want to say. Like, I feel like I'm being, I'm not being mean, am I? No. Okay, good. I didn't care anyways. Listen. <laughs> But here's the thing. We, we, I, we live in this world. We want everything to be awesome, right? Like we want every song to be the best song. We want every like pep talk to be the most best pep talk I've ever heard. We want everything to be a good use of our time because we only have so much. So if I'm going to go to a group or go to church or make that phone call or get coffee with those believers, it's got to be awesome. But if we're honest, a lot of times we're like, yeah, sermon was fine. That kid, he, how old is he? <laughs> like, like, we want every sermon to be a life-changing endeavor. Every worship song to have us in tears. Every grace group for us to be on our knees being like, oh Lord, show up. Like we want all this to be insane. But here's the reality. We live on planet earth. We live in Ohio. You live in Ohio, right? That every time you show up to group, every time you show up to church, every time you show up to whatever it is that your Christian community is, whatever is it for your fellowship of believers that, that you participate in, you can contextualize that for yourself. I don't want to be overly prescriptive. Every time you show up to that, it's not going to be a life-altering thing. There's a quote by a guy, I used to say this at a grace group, I used to lead it. I love this. It's a guy named Matt Smethurst. He says this. I don't remember 99% of the meals I've eaten but they kept me alive. I'm going to say that again for the people in the back. I didn't, I don't remember 99% of the meals I've eaten, but they kept me alive. If you are a follower of Christ, you're going somewhere, 
Are you following Jesus? Because here's the truth. As we gather together in community, as we withdraw, like we talked about last week, in silence and solitude, as we pray, as we meditate on scripture, as we celebrate, all these things we're gonna talk about together. These aren't things that you're gonna go home and be like, I had the best solitude ever. It's not gonna happen probably. Maybe, I don't know, great solitude you had. But all these things are, are patterns, how we change. Change doesn't happen overnight. I read this week, a guy, Mark Comer said that, that we walk with God. It's not our run with God. It's our walk. Discipleship is slow. Change is slow. What Christ is calling us into is not an overnight endeavor. But all these different things are what keep us alive. They're what keep our faith alive, Right? I can't tell you the amount of people that I, that I know and love that at one time were so connected to community, so connected to what Jesus was doing in their lives and the lives of people around them. And they had a question here or a doubt here, stop showing up here. And before you know it, like, you know, I don't know about any of this stuff. I'm not sure if God's really showing up. I'm like, you haven't shown up. It's like, not that God isn't still pursuing your heart, but nothing's changed because you haven't let anything change. We're waiting for this big firework moment, yet Jesus calls us to these daily rhythms, these daily habits. Last couple things. Are you in? Can we be honest? Be honest with myself. People are very weird. And so by, by a product of that, community can be weird. Can we be honest together? People have different snacks. They raise their kids different. Their house is hard to find and you're not sure where you're supposed to park, whatever it is. People are weird. I love Tony Levigny says this at their campus. They say, embrace the awkward, right? I love that. Can we just say that together? Embrace the awkward. I don't remember his name. He doesn't remember my name. Oh, we're just talking about, uh, just embrace the awkward. It's fine. You know what I mean? We're believers together. It's gonna be okay. We're all pretty awkward anyways. And just a, a couple things I think about in community because community is hard. In James 1, James talks about being quick to listen and slow to speak. In our interactions with, uh, with one another and our relationships with one another, practice that, being quick to listen, to ask questions, to hear people out as they're telling you every detail of their day. And be slow to speak, right? Colossians 3 talks about this, to be quick to forgive. This is what I know for sure. If we look at the life of Jesus, if you look at our own lives, as we bump into people, like, kind of say some hurtful things. I say some hurtful things. They do some stupid things. I do way more stupid things, right? There's going to be scenarios where I have to forgive and I have to ask for forgiveness. And this happens as we, as we share in life together, one another. We forgive one another, right? These are all things we know are coming with community, right? And I wanted, I wanted to say this as we close. We're going to have uh, some people up here at the end as, as we pray and close out. If you just want to pray with somebody, you can do that. We always want to just have that kind of available up here. But this is what I know. For some of us, for some of us, this is super, super hard. Like community is like, yes, I get it. Biblically, the Trinity, I need to be around people. But you've been so hurt by the church, by a group you were in, by Christians, by people that said they were Christians, whatever it is, whatever it is. But you're carrying a lot of hurt with you. And I just want to acknowledge that, right? I don't want to be like tone deaf and just be like, get in the group, right? Suck it up. No, some of you are carrying a lot of hurt and you're like, man, that, 
It's kind of opening a wound again, getting back with people. And for some of us, we're in a, I was just talking to a friend recently, we're in a season of life where things are kind of changing quickly, whether it's a loss or a birth or a job change or locate, whatever it is, me shifting around and you're in this place where you're like, I'm not sure who I am. I'm struggling just to even find joy myself and I need to get back into that and I just haven't. And I talk about community and you're like, oh man, I feel, okay, dude, sorry. Like, I, I just, I, I want, like, don't give up. Like, don't give up. Like this person I was talking to, there's a lot of hurt like a product of loss that they're like, I need to get back into this, but I just, I don't know how right now. Like, don't give up. For some of us, there's people in our lives that it's like they, they whether it's medical or location or avail- whatever it is, it's like they can't, they can't get here. How do we get there? It's are the benefits of living in 2020 that we can send emails, make phone calls, write letters, pick people up, right? Bear one another's burdens. If you're here and it's like the community, that's all great, Aiden, but it's just, this hurts right now. I don't know how to do this right now. Or I'm just kind of, everything's backwards right now. I just want to encourage you, don't, don't give up because this is what Jesus calls us to. He tenderly continues to call us back into these things because he knows that life is found in community with one another. That if we keep isolating ourselves, we're going to find ourselves with our own problems by ourselves, Right? And that's no good. But he calls us into fellowship with himself. I want to read this just as we close. Hebrews 10 says this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day approaching. Can we pray together today? God, I'm just so thankful that we can just gather together. So thankful that you've just given us a place. And God, I know there's so many stories in the room, so many walks of life. And God, it's just a beautiful picture of, the, of your church that you've given us. And God, just in the world that we live in, it's so easy to go our own way. It's so natural and it's so comfortable just to do our own thing oftentimes. And Jesus, you call us into a community with one another. You have died in our place that Jesus, through your blood and through your spirit, you are creating a new family where God, you are our father and where the spirit dwells within us. And when the church is our brothers and sisters, Jesus, you called us into this beautiful picture of grace. And if we're honest, God, that there, there, there can be pain involved, that there's, there's busyness involved, there's all kinds of factors, God. But I pray that you would just remind us of the beauty of the community that you're building. Jesus, we're thankful for your grace that you continue to call us to follow you in just a gentle way, in a gracious way. Though we continue to trip, though we continue to stumble, you continue to call us. And so Jesus, as we continue to talk through these different practices that we see in your life, I pray that you may challenge us, that that we may take your burden, which is light, and that these practices would change and transform our lives, and that we may go where you're calling us to. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your presence with us. We're thankful that you yourself walked on this earth and can understand us because of your grace that we pray. Amen.